A new week, another NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor joined, as always, by Kyle Irving. Kyle, what's going on, my guy? Not much, man. I got to tell you, we're recording this on uh, just before the games tip off on Wednesday night. I'm very excited because it feels like for the first time this season, uh, I'm not working a night shift. Like I have the night <laughs> off to myself. There's a 13-game slate, and I cannot wait to just sit down. I got two screens going in the living room. I'm going to watch as much basketball as possible. It just feels like I haven't really had that opportunity without having to have the laptop open working yet so far this year. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Kyle. Actually, I'm not. I'm, I'm not working tonight as well, uh, so I'll be able to just kind of kick back and relax and, and watch it casually. And I'm also excited, Kyle, for a different reason. And I don't know if you know why I'm excited. You can ask me why I'm excited. But I am going to ask you why. What do we got? I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited because the in season tournament starts this week. <laughs> and, I, and I, I should have known. It's funny. I it's known funny. It was the it's funny. I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not saying that in jest either. It's been a lot of. I guess criticism, complaints hate. about the end season tournament, hate about the end season tournament. I'm all for it, and we'll get into that later. But there are pressing issues, more pressing issues than the end season tournament at hand, and that is the fact that uh, you said you mentioned we're talking first day of November, Wednesday, November first, yesterday, or I guess overnight for, for you. You're on the West Coast, so you got this uh, kind of normal time just for you. Before, two a.m. just before midnight, <laughs> just before midnight, two a.m. for us East Coasters. Woj dropped his biggest Woj bomb of the season so far. James Harden finally is a member of the L.A. Clippers, uh, dealt with P.J. Tucker. Uh, so the dynamic duo, the league fits tunnel duo stays together. Um, and the Clippers sent to the 76ers. Nick Batum returned to Philadelphia for Robert Covington, as well as Marcus Morris, who is from Philadelphia, and Kenyon Martin Jr., as well as some First round draft picks, some some draft compensation. I think like four picks are, are headed to Philadelphia as well. So on top of the fact that Woj is just a madman who who skipped his flight from <laughs> New, Newark, New Jersey to L.A. to report the trade in full. Uh, what are your first thoughts about what's happening and, and the fact that James Harden is finally where he actually wants to be in L.A.? Well, I mean, it feels like we were just down this path, what, two years ago and then a year before that <laughs> year and the year before that, that and the year before Like, It just feels <laughs> yeah. like this is kind of a revolving door for James Harden. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it, it's kind of a weird trade because I'm not sure how much better it makes either team. Um, yeah. I think that it might be addition by subtraction for the 76ers. And we talked about it last week, how high I am on Tyrese Maxey. And that mm-hmm. I felt like James Harden was holding him back. He kind of proved that with his player of the week nominee. I mean, he averaged 30 points per game. He looked incredible, him and Joel Embiid really look like they're in sync. I also think that the 76ers did a good job of returning players that, you know, can actually help them contribute towards this goal they have of trying to get over the hump and winning a championship in, uh, you know, the NBA this year. Um, Bringing in guys like Nick Batum, guys like Marcus Morris, guys like Robert Covington that can defend multiple positions. Uh, They're not afraid to take and make big shots. Um, You know, I think that's helpful. The draft picks, I thought the compensation there was, you know, reasonable as well, especially if the Clippers can't get guys like Kawhi, Paul George, and James Harden to re-sign, then those picks could end up being, you know, early in the lottery by the time they, uh, you know, turn over. Um, But, you know, for the Clippers, it's just a weird fit because Russell Westbrook was playing pretty solid to start the season. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard need the ball in their hands. And now you bring in one of the most ball-dominant players in NBA history history, to run the point. Is he playing the two next to Russell Westbrook? Is Westbrook going to come off the bench? It's just, Mm -hmm. I'm very curious to see how, Tyron Lue plans on making this fit work, but I also understand why they did it. You go out, you get a 10 time, you know, I think he's a 10 time all-star, uh, someone that led the league in assists last year, still a 20 point per game scorer in his sleep. So, you know, I'm curious to see how this fit works with the Clippers. Yeah. I want to start talking about the Clippers first, because 
There's so much to unpack. You talked about there being one basketball. It's him. It's Paul George. It's Kawhi Leonard. It's Russell Westbrook. And we know who James Harden is at this point. You talked about the resume that that speaks for itself. This is a former MVP, NBA 75 anniversary team. And it's wild, I guess, because he's such a polarizing figure because of the trade requests and the trade demands and the fact he's been in a couple places. But then I think it distracts people from just how good of a player he is, right? Like it was just six months ago where he had two 40-point games in the same playoff series. But on the same token, he also had a couple of no-shows in the same playoff series. And you can make the argument that, you know, that is the James Harden experience in totality. But also you could you could say that that's the James Harden experience when last year he was playing with Joel Embiid, who was banged up and missed the first couple games of that series or, or missed time in the postseason. And James Harden mm-hmm. had to do more than maybe he needs to be able to do at this stage in his career. So maybe he does need to take a step back, and this is the type of situation in which he should take a step back because James Harden as your 1A or second option is very different from James Harden when he is your third option. But I guess when I say that, can you realistically envision him being that alongside these guys? Because then it opens another door about, okay, Kawhi Leonard's health, Paul George's health, Russell Westbrook's Finally, I'm not going to say Russell Westbrook's temperament because I feel like that that feeds into the narratives about Russell Westbrook. But Russell Westbrook getting accustomed and acclimated to a role where he seemed to start thriving in in L.A., that changes right now, too, with bringing in James Harden. And then the fact that we mentioned the guys that they traded, they traded pretty much all their forward depth. Of course, they brought in P.J. Tucker, who is a solid forward who does a lot, 3 and D guy, and is you know even though he's in his older age, he's 38 years old now, he's not as young as he once was, we know who he is, but still, when I think about the way things shape out, I guess the question is, which James Harden are you going to get? Or, or if you're the Clippers, which James Harden do you need in order to contend for a championship? Yeah, I think you make a great point. It's like, you know, you're trading for this guy who's so lethal on the offensive end. He, like I said, can still sleepwalk his way to 20 points yeah. per game. Yep. Uh, it feels like he can sleepwalk his way to 10 assists per game. But mm-hmm. you're going to have to ask him to be a different version of himself. Like he's not going to be the guy that's, you know, dribbling through his legs 15 times before he hits one of those step back threes in your face. Like he's going to be someone that's going to be more of an orchestrator. He's going to be trying to get guys like Kawhi and Paul George, the ball in the right spots at the right time. Um, but he also is going to have to factor in, okay, how am I going to get mine? I mean, the guy is a walking bucket. He's not just going to pass the rock and that's all he's going to do in LA. That's not why they're bringing him in. But at the same time, Russell Westbrook is also an extremely ball dominant player who, as we know, likes to get his own shots and he's willing to pass up shots as well. I mean, the guy just plays hard. He wants to play winning basketball, but you know, how are those two going to coexist, uh, you know, along with getting Kawhi and Paul George, the amount of shots they need for that team to be as good as it can be. So you know, to answer your question directly, uh, I think it's going to be a similar version that we saw in Philly where he's more of a pass first player and he gets his points where he needs to. And on nights where, you know, Kawhi and PG need to rest, that's where we really see old school James Harden, uh, vintage James Harden trying to score 30 points and whatnot. And we know those guys like to rest a lot. So he will have a lot of those opportunities. But, you know, I'm more interested to see, and this is so far down the line, but in the playoffs, what's the pecking yeah. order on this roster? I mean, obviously, you know, with the Clippers, you always have to ask yourself, who's going to be available at that point in the season as well. But I'm very curious to see if James Harden can kind of put his normal play aside and play into that, you know, primary playmaker role that we saw over the last year in uh, Philly. Um, I was going to say that the thing that I was thinking about when you mentioned that pecking order and the things with LA and and James Harden, as far as him, I'm not going to pretend to be able to be a mind reader or, or get in his mind, but I think back to Brooklyn, right? Where, 
you could say he was 2A in Brooklyn. And by all accounts, everybody thinks that that team was going to be a championship winner um, if they stay healthy. Um, and then I think to Philadelphia, I don't know if at this stage in his career he actually wants to be that guy or maybe he just wants to conveniently be the ball dominant guy. And, and when it, when he doesn't feel like it, he, he doesn't want to do that. And I think maybe he can afford that opportunity now with the way the Clippers roster is set up. But I think that, again, this is Paul George and Kawhi Leonard's franchise. They've been here for a couple of years. They haven't won anything tangible, but at the same time, it's really hard for a guy to come in out of nowhere or, or to kind of request a trade and, and get there. And then things just kind of rearrange just based on, on what they want, which, which I think the biggest thing, and that's the final point I'll say from the Clippers side, it, it makes the timing of it really curious. I know the ownership stepped in and, and made the deal maybe even against the will of, of the front office executives. Um, but you you think that it, they, these teams really could have benefited from having training camp, uh, especially if Terrence, Terrence Mann, who wasn't involved in the trade, was apparently the holdup and he isn't involved in the trade to begin with. You know, these teams probably would have benefited from the fact that they could have training camp together and kind of learn each other's tendencies, learn how to do the your turn, my turn thing, how to incorporate with one another. Because, I mean, James Harden has played with a bunch of stars in his career, but um, this is much different than anything he's done before. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a great point as well. It's what was the holdup. Um, you know, yeah. if they weren't going to get Terrence Mann in the first place, which seemed to be the player of interest, uh, the young guy that Philly really wanted to get in return. Um, you know, the draft compensation didn't seem like it was anything, uh, you know, too ridiculous that they were asking for. Like that feels like a fair return price for someone like James Harden, even at this stage in his career. So I'm a little bit curious as well, but I really don't think it's a coincidence. And I'm sure you feel the same way that Tyrese Maxey comes out playing the way that he did to start the season. And they kind of look, they had to look at each other and kind of say, all right, well, you know, this kid's ready to get the keys to the franchise. Yep. He's ready to be, you know, the guy next to Joel Embiid. He can be the guy next to Joel Embiid. So, you know, what are we waiting for here? Why don't we just get as much as we can in return? We already both talked about how we like the return that they got in terms of rotational pieces that, that can plug and play into that lineup and make an impact. Um, so, you know, on the, on the 76ers side, it feels like they had kind of just seen enough from Tyrese Maxey over the first week to realize maybe we don't need James Harden. But on the Clippers side, it makes you wonder why they didn't push a little bit harder, like you said, to try and get these guys some reps there and practice in, in the preseason and everything like that, uh, just to get that continuity down. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, we talked about Tyrese Maxey, and I guess we can put our shoulders out, patting ourselves on the back. You more so than me, because you were saying that James Harden maybe was getting in the way. Then next thing you know, Tyrese Maxey is Eastern Conference Player of the Week, averaging just under 31 points per game through his first couple games of the season. I think the interesting thing, we talked about the return they got, Batum, Morris, Covington, um, KJ Martin, I think is the most intriguing piece because he's a younger player. And I guess you could be look at him as a prospect. Um, he's been traded two times in the last couple of months, actually. He was with Houston last year. Um, but in years past, uh, my biggest criticism of Philadelphia was always that I didn't know what I was going to get from the – Supporting cast. You knew what Joel Embiid was going to give you. You knew at one point what Jimmy Butler was going to give you or J.J. Redick or insert name here. Even Ben Simmons, to a certain extent, you're going to get your 15, 8, and 8 from him. You knew what James Harden was going to get you for the most part. Um, but then everybody else, you never knew what George Niang or Shake Milton or what those guys were going to give you. I think now you know what Patrick Beverly is going to do. You know what, what Kelly Oubre is going to give you. You know what Batum and, and Marcus Morris and these guys. And I don't know if they're done dealing. I know they've been linked, um, you know, with OG Ananobi and DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. They, couldn't, they, they might try and cash these chips in to add another star caliber player. But as constructed right now, I, I guess I'm thinking about what it is that this team, because they're still not on the same tier 
uh, as the Bucs and the Celtics. But I do think that now they're in a better position to get a little more lucky, I think. If like they're in a situation there in kind of a rock fight type series type game, they can make things ugly and they can count on their depth guys to be consistent enough that if the team that, that in theory they should lose to doesn't bring it, they can take advantage of that because I don't think that they could last year. We saw it with the Celtics in, in the conference semifinals last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think consistency is a great word to describe what the move that the 76ers just made. They became a more consistent team. I mean, like you said, you know exactly where you're going to get out of guys like Batum and guys like Marcus Morris. Uh, I even think that, you know, even with Tyrese Maxey at point guard, that's a little bit at this stage in James Harden's career, a little bit more reliable and consistent than when you know what you're going to get out of James Mm -hmm. Harden. The difference is that as we saw in the playoffs last year, even at this stage in his career, James Harden on a really good night can win you two playoff games in a series. But James Harden on a really bad night can also cost you a game or multiple. (laughs) And, you know, even someone like Joel Embiid has not been Mr. Consistency in the postseason either. That's a big reason why, you know, they've never gotten over the hump to get to the conference finals. So I think we saw that last year. I think that that almost ended up just kind of being a coincidence in the return that the contracts that matched up to make the James Harden deal work. Um, You know, if they cash in their pieces, uh, you know, the, the draft picks that they just got that, like we said, I think, you know, because the draft picks have some value or potential value down the line, they might be able to flip those for players like OG or, or someone like Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, whoever, to try and get another guy to, to pair alongside Maxi and Embiid. But, you know, I also think that if the 76ers were going were to go into the playoffs right now with this roster, they'd still be the third best team in the Eastern Conference. I felt like they were the third right. best team in the Eastern Conference going into the season to begin with, even with all the James Harden drama. So, you know, I'm not sure where their position really changes in the Eastern Conference. I don't know if it changes at all. I think the biggest thing for them is just that, you know, they know the guys that they have in the locker room right now. They can count on them. Uh, they're going to be a little bit more reliable. They don't have to deal with any of this you know, for lack of a better term, BS going on anymore in the, in the background. And they can really just kind of focus, focus up and play basketball now. Yeah. It's funny though, that you say that they don't have to deal with the BS going on in the background because similar to how we said James Harden has been in this position before the Sixers have too. Right. I mean, I know it's crazy to think, first of all, that was four years ago that they lost to the Raptors and that might've been probably their best shot to, to, to run the table. They are a few bounces away and who knows what would have happened in overtime, but they're a few bounces away from us not having this conversation and things going completely differently than they have over the past four plus years. Um, but to think that, you know, they're also a Ben Simmons passed up layup away from things going a little bit different. And then that, that was a saga that that came after that. Um, I'll say differently. I think, in a weird way, you know, James Harden in the return, first of all, that he wanted to go to Philadelphia in the first place and they were able to get something in exchange for Ben Simmons because that situation could have gone completely left for that franchise. And then he felt that he was wronged by Daryl Morey and decided he wanted to, to go. And it was pretty obvious. It got a little awkward and painful for them, but they were able to get a return for him and it didn't set them back, like you said. So not that they should be sitting here saying thank you to James Harden. I thought it was very funny. Also, Sixers Social, thank James Harden, <laughs> Philip Petrasev, and PJ Tucker all in the same tweet so they wouldn't get be hate tweets for a solo tweet for James Harden. So he looked out as far as that goes. And I didn't mention Philip Petrasev in the trade earlier because he's been moved already. I already made a joke about him being flipped to a different team. So <laughs> I'm sure, Kyle, you're, you're proud of me with that. Um, but that I wouldn't expect anything less. Um, it, of course, I got to. I got to live up to this. I got to stay on brand. Um, but just sure. thinking about that, as far as that goes, at least the Sixers aren't set back. And I think the big thing to keep in mind with this is just that they're probably not done dealing it. And I guess to 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 wrap that up, 
do you think that there's anything that they can do to put themselves on the same tier with Boston and Milwaukee? Is it a move for, is it a Levine type guy or is it somebody who just hasn't established that they're disgruntled yet? I mean, I, I don't know. Like in your opinion, if they were to get Zach Levine, would they all of a sudden jump up to that top tier in the Eastern conference with Milwaukee me. and Boston? It doesn't move me doesn't really move me. either. Like I think that that only further, you know, this is what I'm going to say. I think, I don't know if there's a move that they can make to put them in that top tier with Boston and Milwaukee, but I think a move like adding Zach Levine would further separate them from the rest of the teams in the Eastern Conference. Because right okay. now, I feel like they are kind of still in that, like they're still in that mix with, you know, whoever, New York, Cleveland, Miami's in that mix. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, it feels like they're still in that same tier as them. They're not in a different tier. They're not in their own tier by any means. But if they were to make a move to get Levine, that would really kind of space them out from teams like Cleveland, New York, and Miami, in my opinion. So I don't know if there's a move out there. I mean, unless, like you said, there's they're just waiting for the next disgruntled star that's like, hey, maybe Philly and playing with Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey wouldn't be all that bad. It's not a bad destination right now. Um, I just think that, you know, I don't know if there's any move that they can make that can match anything that Milwaukee and Boston did this offseason. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I'm right there with you. I mean, again, like, you know, it's not even a knock on Zach Levine, but it's just the facts. He hasn't been a part of any winning cultures or organization to where it's like he's adding that. Obviously, he's uber talented. Um, I know he's eager and itching to win, and the Bulls on the flip side probably need to blow things up sooner rather than later. But um, one name we didn't mention with Philadelphia also is Tobias Harris. So he's a guy who um, is making – pretty much max money and he kind of is a guy who flies under the radar but just as soon as he can go for eight or ten points he can also go for 20 25 points um and kind of be something that separates them as well so i agree i don't think they should be eager to to jump to make a move for the first guy who says they want out or the first guy who they might have a chance to get i think if it makes sense and, and if there's realistically somebody or someone out there Maybe we just don't know who it is. We're not thinking of them. Um, but it's kind of – I feel like they're a team who will be, you know, when guys start becoming available in the middle of December, middle of January, towards that trade deadline, I think that's when we should keep an eye on what the Sixers have in mind because they're also going to have a bunch of cap space, uh, I think, next offseason. Because when I mentioned Tobias here, so I think that $38 million comes off the books. They will need to pay Tyrese Maxey. But the Sixers have flexibility. I think that's important, especially with the fact that there's rumors that Joel Embiid might want out. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned Tyrese Maxey, but he's someone that uh, they actually didn't pick up or they didn't offer an extension to him going into the season. And that was a move on his part and, you know, his agency and everything like that to bet on himself. And I feel like that is going to pay off in a big, big, big lucrative payday because I mean, you know, I'd go as far as to say that he's flirting with first time all-star territory now that James Harden is gone. And I think the type of numbers that he can put up and if the 76ers are one of the three best records in the Eastern Conference come all-star time, I mean, it's going to be tough to not give that team two all-stars and Tyrese Max is going to be sitting right there. So if he can be a first-time all-star, that's going to be a really, really smart gamble on his part to bet on himself there. And it, as Fred Van Vliet would say, double down. Betting yourself on double down, obviously. Um, for those of you wondering, 76ers Clippers, and you find this pretty interesting, play twice in the same week at the end of March. So Sixers at Clippers on March 24th. And then they didn't get to thank James Harden in a tweet, but they'll get to thank him in person at Wells Fargo Center, March 27th, 2024. I'm sure that the city of brotherly love will have plenty of love to show James Harden uh, at once he makes his return to Philadelphia in late March. Now, we've talked a lot about the James Harden trade, but there's plenty of other stuff to talk about around the NBA. So we will take a quick break. Hop back on here and uh, we'll talk the in-season tournament that I'm so excited about.
All right, so we are recording this two days ahead of the in-season tournament beginning on Friday, November 3rd. Um, for you fans out there, every Friday and Tuesday throughout the month of November, except for the election day in the States, um, there will be in-season tournament games. And in addition to the in-season tournament games, the NBA announced that they're doing something never before seen, never before done, before each NBA team has special painted courts for the in-season tournament kyle i mentioned before me and kyle send this stuff to each other all the time on twitter instagram whatever it is we had our back and forth that i cannot wait to talk about this on the pod so there's obviously the playing part of the tournament as well but the playing surface of the playing of the in-season tournament as well are just exciting things to talk about and again i know i might sound like i'm being sarcastic but i actually am really intrigued and excited to see at least like what is going to come of this in-season tournament because it's something we haven't seen before yeah, I mean, I think Kevin Durant, I don't know if you saw that clip of him, like when they, I think it was like the NBA social team or the Sun, the Sun social team, but they showed the court and he was like, damn, this is tough. Uh, we're playing on a purple court in an NBA game. Yeah. And they were like, yeah. And he's like, oh, all right, cool. Like, it's one of those things that's like, you know, it's a great idea on paper. And you look at the courts and you're like, oh, damn, like a lot of these are really cool. Like, this is really interesting. Yeah. It looks like something that you could like, you know, customize an NBA 2K when you're building yeah. like my team's arena or something like that. But it's like, Okay, one, what is that really going to look like on the broadcast? And mm. two, like, how tough is that going to be for players? Like, obviously, you're familiar with the court. You know where you need to be, right. the spacing, everything like that. But, like, how tough is that going to be for, like, referees and players to adjust and see where all the lines are on the floor? And, I mean, there's a lot going on. I understand why they yeah. They want to give every game its own unique feel compared to a regular season game. And I'm all about that. And I, you know, like you said, it sounds sarcastic. Like, I'm genuinely excited to see what the in-season tournament becomes and what it's about to be like every time they play those commercials on tv my roommates who you know they follow basketball pretty closely but not as closely as we do they're like yeah you know they have another question to ask they're like all right what is this what is that and i think right now a lot of fans really are confused about what this in-season tournament really is are these just regular season games do they count towards anything how many games are they going to be playing is it add to the schedule all this yada yada but you know i mean sticking to the, the topic of the courts without going on a further rant about the in-season tournament itself. No, please I'm go very, ahead if you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm very curious to see what these colored courts look like on the broadcast yeah. and, and the type of reviews that the players have for them. Because, you know, even in the, in the college game, for people that watch college basketball, I mean, I remember like Oregon has done some crazy like things the, with the their woods, court. right? Hawaii's done some crazy yeah. things with their court. I think, you know, why? it's like all these like Pac-12. Memphis has a blue like, court too, I think. Yeah, they have a, it's like dark, dark, dark gray. I mean, like there's, yeah. you know, yeah, so that's what it is. College teams have experimented with different colored courts. Um, obviously, college football teams have experimented with different colored fields. Um, right. You know, the idea of it is cool, but what is it actually going to look like when these guys are on the floor playing? Yeah, no. So two things. I, I appreciate the rants because I've been I've been having discussions and conversations with people about the in season tournament and people saying, "Oh man, they're forcing us to care about this." Or why do why should we care about this? They're trying to make something that doesn't matter matter. Well, first of all, like these are regular season games. They're just adding an asterisk next to them. Really, like the only game that is not normal. Really, technically, I guess the the, the semifinals and the finals, but the finals is the only extra game. The two finalists will play their eighty third game of the season. Boohoo. So what? They're playing one extra game and the team who wins gets a really nice payout. And I think it's even is really important for the guys at the end of the bench because some guys are probably going to double their 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 yearly salary with yep. one 
win of a championship game. So if you're a guy on, on a max contract, you're thinking about the 17th guy on the roster, you're playing for him. So that, why do you care? Why do you mentioned college basketball? Why does the Maui Invitational care? Why do people want to win that tournament, right? You got me right. going now. Why do, why do no, I want to win the Paradise Jam? Like these are games, <laughs> like I know that it helps your resume, but like at the end of the day, who, why, why does this trophy mean anything? You just play for it. And I think the thing that you talked about, like they're ca- a lot of they're more casual fans that are going to be curious about what this is. Um, there's a younger generation of fans who, at a certain point, they will only know an NBA that has an in-season tournament. So now you're adding intrigue for that. And when you talk about the courts, you don't ever have to question, is this a tournament game or not? Because you see the Bulls playing on this red court (laughs) with the championship trophy in the middle of it, or the Hornets playing on this teal court, or the Pelicans playing on a purple and lime green court, and you know, okay, (laughs) this is an in-season tournament game. And then – 10 years from now, when you and I will link, think back to the first time they had this and we look back at highlights of Zion Williamson dunking on whoever's in their group, you think, oh, OK, that was a tournament game because <laughs> the court was purple and green or, or have you. So I think that it is what it is like. That's that's it. I, I don't I don't mind that the courts themselves are really interesting. Like you said, it's going to be we'll have to see it uh, when, when it's in front of us. But I understand the purpose of it for us to kind of differentiate um, that. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people complaining because there is a big trophy at half court. People are missing that in the NBA finals and we get it for, for the end season tournament. So maybe <laughs> we're a step closer to getting the trophy back on the floor for the NBA finals, because I think that was one of the biggest things of the NBA finals aesthetic. I, I feel like I kind of started cooking and got, <laughs> I started <laughs> isolating a little bit right there talking about the end season tournament, but I don't think there's anything else to be said about the end season tournament, but just know that it starts this week and it'll be going on throughout uh, the month of November and the championship is the beginning of December. Very smart scheduling, by the way. It's that like Saturday in December, college football conference championships are over. There's nothing else on TV really sports wise. Um, so Saturday night, how how about we get two of the best teams in the NBA going head to head playing for something worth something? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? You said you ran ISO there for a little bit, but I mean, that was smooth. You're looking like James Harden in his prime, like 2018. <laughs> ISO, you know, give someone the shoulder and 60 one the layup. Give them, you're cooking with the wrist, like everything like that. But no, I mean, you made great points. Like, it's like, you know, the. I think comparing it to college basketball and those early season tournaments and like, why do we care about those? It's because they've just always been there. The Maui Invitational has always been there. Paradise Jam, like all these, the 2K Classic, like these are tournaments that have always been there, at least like in our lifetime. So that's all we know. And like, it gives players something to compete for. And I think the one thing that people are like sleeping on about the in-season tournament in, in, you know, oh, the star is going to care. Who's really going to care about it? Whatever. Like, I think people are kind of forgetting how just like competitively driven these guys are. That's the reason they're in the NBA in the first place. So like, even if, you know, they might not care about the first in-season tournament game, I think that there is going to be a point where you start to see these guys flip a switch and they're like, hey, we're playing for some sort of championship here. Like this counts for something. Let's let's turn it yep. up a notch. And I actually, real quick, I so I had the opportunity to interview DeMont Sabonis yep. uh, earlier yeah, this summer. And he gave, I, I asked him about it. Um, and he gave me a really, really insightful answer that I really enjoyed. Um, especially being a guy whose dad played for Real Madrid growing up. He knew nothing but European basketball and the Euro mm-hmm. League. And those types of tournaments, what he said to me, are so common. And they are such a big deal in the Euro League because they've always been there and there's history there. And, you know, there's the, the you know, Euro Cup champion and, and Euro Cup MVP. And those things mean something because there's history behind it. So he right. said, even though he feels like, you know, it might take a little bit for the in-season tournament to really catch on, he thinks that, you know, once that there is history behind it and you rack up a couple champions and someone wins this year and then, you know, someone loses in the championship and they're like, damn, man, I really want to get that next year. Like 
all of a sudden, five, 10 years from now, like you said, there are going to be a generation of fans that know nothing else but this in-season tournament. And it is going to matter. It is going to mean something. So, you know, as long as it sticks around that long and it gets to the point where there's a little bit of a history behind it, I agree with Domas, man. I think that there is eventually going to be a, a point where this turns a corner and this becomes something that people really start to enjoy, especially just because at this point in the season, most people, unless you're a diehard basketball junkie like you and I, are paying attention to the NFL World right. Series, like they're right. this kind of. I'm not saying it's the dog days. It's it's not the dog days of the NBA season. It's still early. People are you know watching teams for the first time and stuff. But you know it just adds a little bit more meaning to some games that otherwise might might not, might not mean a lot. Yeah, no, and I think that's the thing. Like to to put a bow on it. One thing is to, if you just draw more fans in, then like that's that's worthwhile. Um, and, and people who maybe weren't interested in the sport and bringing more people in to to the NBA, I think that's one thing that's a win. And also, again, like you said, um, it, it, it's something worth playing for potentially. And I think that a big part of it is the players will dictate how important this is. My final thing for this, um, there's going to be a big trophy. The NBA cup is that, but how do you feel potentially for teams putting a banner up for uh, winning the in-season tournament? Oh, oh God. Man, I, <laughs> when I tell Not you that, that far, like, that's too far, too far. Well, no, no, I'm just laughing because like, like I said, I've been answering a lot of questions, just like watching, you know, games with my friends and stuff. And they're like, oh, like, you know, what is this? What are they playing for? What does this mean? How does this work in the season? Uh, you know, I even brought up the point that you brought up about end of the bench guys, like how this could be a huge payday for them. And that's awesome. But one thing that I have not thought of, I have not thought of at all, is the idea of teams putting up banners for the in-season tournament. And the first thing that comes to my mind is the Indianapolis Colts hanging, uh, <laughs> hanging the AFC finalist banner yeah. that's still yeah. to this day. Like any time that another Memed. team... Yeah, exactly. It's in, it's engraved in meme history. So I actually almost feel bad for the team that wins the first ever in-season tournament because they probably will raise a banner for it almost by the NBA's like standards. And that is going to be memed into like, you know, engraved into basketball Twitter, NBA Twitter history. Um, so that's hilarious. That is going to be, there's going to be a lot of old man yell at cloud rants over the team that hangs the in-season tournament banner. I'm curious to see what happens if it's a team like the Celtics or the Lakers though, where, you know, they're running out of space right. up there in the first place. Do they really have space for an in-season tournament banner? I'm not so sure they do. I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Where do you stand? <laughs> I was going to say it would be a really funny article or story idea to just kind of have like uh, a, a list of teams that maybe should would benefit teams that haven't really won anything <laughs> tangible or, or worthwhile. Maybe they need to get something going up, going on in the rafters where a team like the Celtics or the Lakers, Spurs, um, Warriors, that have, uh, Bulls, they, they've won a couple actual titles. They don't have to do anything like that. So maybe it's the, the, the group of NBA teams that have never won an NBA title that might be more inclined to do it. But they might the, the, the unforgiving world of NBA Twitter might be more inclined uh, to make fun of them and bully them out of doing it. So we'll <laughs> see how that goes real quick uh, on banners. We mentioned Nick Nurse uh, was back in um, Toronto last week. The Sixers got a win over the Raptors. We talked a lot of Sixers and they asked Scotty Barnes uh, about that. And, and I, we won't we spend too much time with it, but I want to roll the clip real quick to hear what you thought about Scotty Barnes. And so they asked him if he got a chance to catch up with Nick Nurse, if, if, he, if he talked to him on the sideline, and here is what he had to say. I don't know. Good to see him, I guess. Did you guys change any words? Or no, not really. Um, like I, I barely saw him, to be honest. Uh, I never really see him when he walked in, or I, I, I wasn't really looking over there. I really just focused on the game, trying to win. Come on. <laughs> I didn't. I, good to see him. I guess. Well, it, it, is is Scotty Barnes the reason that 
Nick Nurse and the Raptors parted ways. Is, is that what that answer just told us? I mean, man, that is uh, – you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but the more I listen to it, it's just like he was trying so hard not to say what he wanted to say that he ended up like probably coming off worse than if he had just been like, yeah. man, honestly, I did not really mess with that dude. Like I, he was – me and him did not see eye to eye. Like he, he The Russell the pauses, Westbrook approach. Right, yeah. Like the pauses were so dramatic that it's like it almost makes it seem worse than it really is. Like yeah. if he had just came out and been like – Nah, I didn't really say what up. Like, I, I just don't really like him. Like, I think everybody would have been like, all right, well, yeah, it's a big oh, deal. Well, but hey, you're, you're being honest. Instead, like, it's just like this vague answer of like, oh, you didn't look over at the sidelines once the entire game when you were playing against them. Like, uh, I mean, Scotty, man, I, he's he's usually very candid. He's he's like a super wholehearted dude. And like, I feel like he like kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. But yep, I think right there he was trying a little bit too hard to like kind of play it cool. And it ended up just kind of coming off wrong. Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I honestly, I feel like the, the the relationship between them were pro- was probably not as bad as that answer would make people read between the lines to think. But it is certainly uh, is quite the soundbite, uh, and we'll look back at that. And I'm sure they play again uh, this week. I think they play. Obviously, they play four times this season. So I'm sure with that on their mind, they'll they'll have a nice little handshake and, and share a moment moving forward. Big shout out to Scotty Barnes. Great start to the season through the first four games, averaging 21 points, uh, just shade under 10 rebounds and five and a half assists per game. So he's making that leap uh, that we've expected him to make. They just aren't winning very many games. So uh, we'll see if the Raptors can right the ship. Now, I gave a shout out to Scotty Barnes, but I feel like there are some other shout outs. We usually give shout outs on, on sound system. I think we've been been kind of lacking with the, with the shout outs uh, this time. So I know you have some people, some people you wanted to kind of identify. I know you keep your eye on some some sneaky lead pass teams. So so what's uh, got your attention to start the season? Yeah, I mean, Scotty Barnes is one of the guys at the top of the list, but since you already gave him a shout-out, the guy that I'm oh, going to give a shout-out to, in, uh, I mean, not exactly a timely comparison here, but Jalen Duren is looking like prime Dwight Howard to start the season. <laughs> he yep. has been a beast. He's averaging 15.5 points, 13 rebounds per game. All of a sudden, this guy's like creating off the dribble. He's showing a little bit of a, a passing presence out of the post. He's shooting 68% from the field. Uh, he has been a monster for Detroit. I think going into the year, it was kind of like a – you know, all right, like obviously they really like Dern. He's only 19 years old as a sophomore in the league. Um, but, you know, they also have guys like Isaiah Stewart. They have guys like Marvin Bagley. What's that front court going to look like? How are they going to, you know, work in that rotation? And it became very clear that Jalen Dern is going to be the center of the future in Detroit. And I'm going to stick in Detroit, too, to give another shout out. You only asked me to give one, but I'm going to drop another one in here as well to his teammate, Asar Thompson who a lot of people, yeah. myself included, I had Eamon hired on my draft board than I had Asar. Um, I think situation has a lot to do with that. I think that, you know, Asar Thompson has been plugged into that small forward role, uh, really grinding on the defensive end. Uh, he's able to excel as a slasher playing alongside someone like Cade Cunningham. His, you know, lack of an ability at this early stage in his career to create his own shot off the dribble. I think that that's kind of hidden a little bit in the role that he has right now, which is nice for him. It allows him to ease himself into that and kind of get comfortable creating for himself at the NBA level. But the thing that I want to point out is that there are only three players in the NBA. And yes, it's only been four games. There are only three players in the NBA right now that have more block shots than Asar Thompson. And that is Chet Holmgren, Jaron Jackson Jr. And Anthony Davis, who may as well be what three of the, let's call it 10 best shot blockers in the league. I mean, yeah, it might be early to throw Chet into that conversation, but it feels like that's the direction that he is trending in. I mean, Asar Thompson is essentially a guard. Like he's a wing, he's a forward, whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. He's essentially a guard. So do we see like a little Dwayne Wade type shot blocking okay. guard in the in the making here? I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if he can grow the offensive game that way. But I mean, to have 10 blocks through the first four games is pretty incredible. 
Yeah, uh, one one little Jalen Duran. You said it before, but he was the youngest guy in the league last year. He he doesn't turn twenty uh, until late November, so like it's just crazy to see him. He is a grown man, and the fact to, to think that he is still developing physically and you know pretty crazy to think about. So um, him and and the, and the Pistons are just uh, as a whole with Asar Thompson, Kate Cunningham's been playing really well this year. Uh, they have an, uh, an abundance of riches, and Monty Williams, I think, is is, is a great guy to to uh, get that team going in the right direction. I'm not just saying that because I'm a big Monty Williams fan. Got a chance to know him during our time uh, when he was with the New Orleans Hornets um, back in, in 2010 through 2012. So um, that's another one. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stick with the young fella theme, and, and I'm gonna give a shout out to Charlotte Hornets rookie uh, Brandon Miller, who. There was a lot of backlash, a lot of criticism, you know, for on the basketball side of him going uh, second overall ahead of Scoot Henderson, who's still figuring things out a little bit. He's going to be fine, too. But Brandon Miller, who who knew? He struggled at, at, at Summer League when the Hornets didn't have a real point guard to play with him. Now right. he's playing with LaMelo Ball, who's actually struggling to start the season a little bit. And through three games, averaging over 17 points, six boards, two assists, shooting well, uh, 47, 44, 90 uh, shooting splits. Again, small sample size. He's probably going to hit a rookie, hit a rookie wall, but we're getting a, an idea of what it's going to look like when he does uh, put it all together. Um, and he, he's going to be a big piece. And I think you talk about drafting for fit. The Hornets did it. They took a risk, and it looks like the, the risk is going to pay off. So, um, what he's been able to do with this Hornets team to start the season, and just think when Lamelo Ball gets you know kind of acclimated because he didn't have that much time to, to play this summer. Um, he had those injuries last year that, that kept him from having a real off season of work. Um, I think the Hornets are, are it's hard to say, you know, you know, a lot of times not a lot of positive things happen with the Hornets franchise as far as just, you know, the direction they're going basketball wise, but adding a piece like Brandon Miller and if everybody else they have, you know, the Mark Williams and Nick Richards, those guys developed PJ Washington developed the way they envisioned them doing um, this team actually might have some things to be excited about in the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. Brandon Miller is someone who, you know, I mean, I was firmly in the, the camp that Scoot Henderson was the second best player in this <laughs> draft class. I was disappointed. The Hornets decided to draft for fit instead of drafting Scoot. Um, he, like you said, he's off to a slow start to his career. You know, I mean, uh, it just feels like he's pressing a little bit. He's Like you said, he's going to be just fine. But to talk about Brandon Miller and stick with him, like I've been really impressed with what I've seen from him. And I think one thing that, you know, especially I thought the, the summer league criticism was extremely unfair because all of the guards on his team wanted to shoot just as bad as he wanted to shoot. Yeah. No one was getting him the ball in any spots. Every time he had the ball in his hands, it felt like he had to force something to get a look. So you knew that playing with someone like LaMelo Ball was going to free that up. But again, like talk about someone who one of his biggest concerns coming into the draft was, you know, he's someone that has to create for himself off the dribble if he's going to be the number one scorer that they want him to be and he wasn't that fluid doing that at the college level a lot of his points came from you know catch and shoot threes um you know he's he's getting uh, easy looks and transition stuff like that but i think we're already seeing with the hornets right now having guys like lamello having guys like terry rosier gordon hayward's been playing pretty well to start the season pj washington can score a little bit having those type of guys to take that offensive pressure off of him from being the number one option right away is huge and i think that we're starting to see him thrive in his development early on because he's playing, you know, a third or fourth scoring type role on that Hornets team. He's competing out there. Like you said, he looks confident. The jump shot looks confident. And I think it actually is going to end up being a pretty decent situation for Brandon Miller there in Charlotte. Absolutely. No, again, I think that, you know, we look at this, this rookie class 
You look at his rookie class and, um, you know, talk about Brandon Miller. Chet Holmgren's a guy you mentioned already. I mean, he has seven blocks in the game. So you can mention him with, uh, the elite rim protectors. I think the, the, the rule should be if you have more than, uh, five blocks in one of your first <laughs> career games, you could be mentioned among the NBA's, uh, elite rim That's protectors. A fair yeah. Yeah. You talk, you talk about the, the Thompson twins and a lot of the guys who have impressed, uh, early on. Um, in this season, I think that the, 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 this is an interesting rookie class. And one more thing about the rookie class is we get into our weekend picks. Victor Wimbenyama, uh, Raptors fans will get their first look at him. Raptors play the Spurs Sunday, November 5th at 3.30 p.m. Raptors have been struggling to start the season, but I'm going to take the Raptors in this game. I think it's going to be a close one. Sunday afternoon games usually are pretty uh, close games, especially for the Raptors. What say you? Uh, I feel like, yeah, it's got to be the Raptors as well. The Spurs are struggling a little bit to start the season. Um, you know, Wemby's, to me right now, like, I don't know if it's just a situation of where, like, he's really feeling like he gets, a, like, by the time he gets the ball in his hands, he's got to put it up because, like, I don't think that his teammates are really necessarily doing a great job of putting him in a position offensively to get easy baskets. Um, 38% of his shots are coming from the three-point line right now. That is way too mm-hmm. many for someone who is, you know, yeah. seven foot five in shoes. Uh, he's averaging 12 and a half field goal attempts per game. And he's averaging, uh, what I pulled it up right here, 4.8 three-point attempts per game. So, you know, that's a lot of stand on the perimeter just doing catch and shoot uh, for Victor Wembanyama. He's going to be fine. He's going to figure it out. Um, he's had some ups and downs, some big games, some some lulls. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be really important for the Spurs to find hit, find a, a true point guard for him. Not that Trey, jo- Trey Jones is doing a solid job so far. Right. They're going to have to find a true point guard for him at some point down the line just to get him some easier looks. So I'm going to take the Raptors as well as Spurs still trying to figure some stuff out. Yeah, one thing I can't help but notice when I watch the Spurs, Wimby, you know, some guys aren't, aren't necessarily pure playmakers, whatever, and sometimes they don't trust themselves to make the pass, but I see he gets looked over a lot, which I'm sure could be a, a little bit frustrating for him because I know he's working really hard to, to get post position, um, run the floor really well, and he's not getting as many touches as he probably should because we're here to see Wimby shoot 15, 20 times a game. I'm sorry to the other guys on the, on the court that might be letting <laughs> it fly. Obviously, Devin Vassell, you've earned the right to do it, especially with the contract that you're playing on. Um, sure. Kellen Johnson, you have the, 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 the track record to do that. As well, but sometimes Jetty Osmond just just give it up, you know. Yeah, um, now I'm putting you on the spot <laughs> with this one. We we didn't, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but James Harden is expected to make his Clippers debut at MSG on Monday, November 6. What do you think his stat line is going to be if he plays? Oof, I mean, I feel like he's. This is a thing, man. Like James Harden, when he's playing with like a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and he's like feeling mm-hmm. revitalized and, and he's in a new situation and he got what he wanted and everything like that, like that's a pretty dangerous man. I could see him yeah. going for a 2010 double double, uh, 10 assists, 20 points, like, you know, somewhere in that ballpark. It feels like, you know, just in, in similar situations when he's requested a trade and got his demand, he's, he's showed out, you know, for the first however many games. And then, you know, he kind of tails off and he, he starts to take it a little less seriously than he was at first. Um, so, yeah, put me on the books for a 2010 double-double for James Harden in his 76ers debut whenever that comes. I like that. I, I like that. I think it's going to be a double-double. I, I don't think he's going to get 20 points just because there's so many mouths to feed uh, there. So I'm, I think it's going to be one of those. So it's real. Like, it'll be like a James Harden, like 18 and 11 double-double. He only takes like eight shots. Uh, it's going to be one of those James Harden games, which we've seen before. He gets to the line a couple times, um, and, and he does it in, in kind of light work, quick work, and you just see everybody kind of go off, and everybody gets super excited. We might see a different scary hours graphic, and then we'll, and then things like you said uh, will kind of die down because ultimately, um, as a whole, we have to see the Clippers do something to be excited about the Clippers doing something. So we'll see how that plays out. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think there's other games this weekend that are worth tuning into. I mean, we saw a potential matchup between two undefeated teams, uh, the Denver Nuggets and the Dallas Mavericks, and that's an in-season tournament game. So I know you're going to be glued yeah. to the TV for that one, all fired up. <laughs> you know I mean, me. uh, hey, they both have, they both play one game before uh, that game gets underway. So they might not be uh, undefeated at that point. I think I, we talked about it a little bit before. I think the Nuggets play the Timberwolves in the yep. Mavericks Bulls, play the Bulls, Bulls Mavs. So, you know, I mean, they could, they very well could both be undefeated going into that first in season tournament game. And I think that'd be a great product for NBA fans to see as, you know, one of the marquee games this weekend. Um, I don't know who you feel like is going to take that game. I know that you weren't all that high on the maps to start the season. Uh, Luca has been so good that I, it's kind of proved anybody wrong. Um, but I mean, I feel like the Nuggets are going to keep this train rolling. Yeah, I was going to say the, the Mavericks have proven me wrong. Uh, I, I'll admit that. Granted, it's been early. They needed some heroics from Luka Doncic, but I think we're kind of getting to the point where similar to LeBron, if you have Luka on your team and he plays well, then you're going to be fine. Um, and he, He's enough. As long as he's healthy, he can get you to 45 uh, to 50 wins. Kyrie Irving has been um, in and out of the injury, all, all the injury report with the sprained foot. Don't know if it'll be available uh, for this game and, and what they're going to do um, as far as that goes. I'm giving the edge to Denver home court advantage playing in the Maha City. Um, I think that that'll definitely uh, be their benefit. The only thing that, that takes away, they're going to have the jerseys with 5-2-8-0 on there. We get it. You play Maha High, you don't necessarily need that on, on the court and on, on the uniform, but whatever. It is what it is. I'm, we're, we're not going to complain anymore about the courts or the uniforms. <laughs> we'll just have, we'll just, we're just going to see how it is and how the product looks on TV. Yeah, I mean, the uniforms are another thing. I mean, we already did our whole rant on that. The courts, you know, TBD, we'll see. But I'm excited for the product that's going to be on the floor, which is Luka Doncic versus Nikola Jokic, and those are looking like need. two very early season MVP candidates. Yeah, they could play. They could, they, those guys can play in the in the gray, in the brown tee and the gray sweats that you get when you're when you're my player starts. And I would be I would be tuned in. So that that that's all you need. I was gonna get into the in season tournament picks, but I feel like we should see how the first couple in season tournament uh, games play out, and then we'll be back here on NBA Sound System to again very seriously, very earnestly talk about our takes on the NBA in season tournament, which gets underway this weekend, runs for the next month. Um, if you haven't checked out the uh the kind of really funny uh heist. Add with Kawhi Leonard, Draymond Green, Michael Imperioli is in it. Uh, you know, so it's pretty cool uh, thing that they have to kind of drum up some more excitement about the fact that these teams are going to head to Vegas in December and play for the NBA Cup. That's it for this edition of NBA Sound System. Thanks again for subscribing wherever you get your podcast. We'll keep these fresh in your podcast feed throughout the NBA season and beyond. And college basketball starting up, so we'll have some college basketball takes, some prospects to keep an eye on, as well as college basketball gets underway. For Kyle Irving, my name is Gil McGregor. Thanking you again for tuning in and telling you that we will catch you back here next week.